Welcome to the Journeys of Scientists podcast. This is a podcast put out by WAMPS, which stands for Women and Minorities in the Physical Sciences. We are a graduate student organization at Michigan State University. I am Brian Stanley. I am a graduate student in the physics department at MSU. The purpose of this podcast is to talk with other graduate students at MSU and other universities to get a sense of the type of research they do, but also learn about life as a graduate student, both within and outside the classroom or research lab. If you or someone else you know are interested in participating in the Journeys of Scientists podcast, you can email me at the email below in the show notes, or you can visit the WAMPS website, which is www.wamps.org, and you can send us a message there. On this episode, we are joined by Camille Michaelis, a physics PhD student at MSU studying quantum information sciences. She's also a world-class knitter that you can find on Instagram. Hope you enjoy learning more about her journey. Welcome, Camille. Could you briefly introduce yourself? What do you study and what program are you in? I'm Camille. (laughs) Um, So I am going into my third year, right? Third year. (laughs) Um. And I'm studying um, quantum information science. We mostly try are trying to successfully make qubits, transmon qubits, and starting to dabble a little bit in um, our lab is trying to dabble a little bit in NB centers, nitrogen vacancy centers and diamonds as a platform for qubits and um, also electrons on helium as a platform for qubits. So there's a theme there. (laughs) We like qubits. Um, Yeah. And I like to knit. (laughs) Awesome. Well, yeah, we'll get to knitting in a little bit. Well, how does a qubit differ from just a regular bit? Short of it has a cuter name. Yeah. So (laughs) I want to be careful here because the actual computing aspect of it is... You know, that's boring to me. I know how to make them, and that's about as far as we can go. But just in general terms, a qubit is a quantum bit. So rather than having a little transistor on a computer that's an on and off switch, it's it's a quantum bit. So, um, for example, the transmon is um, a little circuit, tiny, tiny circuit on the order of, like, microns in size. Um and for micrometers yeah so uh yeah we we have little josephson junctions called the squid loop and that's the transmon qubit and we put it in a dilution refrigerator that goes down to like millikelvin temperatures and yeah it's 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 a it's a bit Mm. for a computer except it's a quantum bit so it's smaller and we can look at quantum mechanics i mean how do you look at quantum mechanics using a classical Mm -hmm. computer it's impossible you need a quantum bit to look at quantum mechanics so yeah so how how did you get interested in in like this particular subfield 
That's a good question. So I actually did a um, REU at Michigan State mm-hmm. University in 2018, the year before I would have started, or the summer before I would have started applying for grad schools. And I was in an STM lab, which is, you know, very different. Um, or yeah, yeah, STM. It's <laughs> like, was it STM? No. It was STM. And one of the guys in the lab was doing research in Myrona fermions as a potential, like, I, I don't know, platform for qubits, like braiding Majoranas for potential quantum mm-hmm. computing. And I thought that was really interesting, um, even though that's not what I was doing in that lab. I was like off to the side. I was like, well, that's kind of cool. I'm going to keep that in the back of my head. And when I was applying for grad schools, um, Johannes Pollinen, which is the lab I'm in now. Mm. Um, Mohawk guy. Oh, yeah. Mohawk guy. Cool guy. Um, he was the one that sent me my acceptance letter. And I was like, I know you, you do quantum information science. So that little voice in the back of my head was like, this is it. This is what you're going to do. So like, I really had no idea about quantum information science um, going into this. Still probably (laughs) should know more, but um, I don't know. I think I just, yeah, I just found it very interesting. And it's so prevalent right now in physics mm-hmm. quantum information science is everywhere and i'm not too concerned about figuring out what i'm going to do after grad school because there's just so many pathways not that that's why i'm in it you know i love it <laughs> but it's also nice to know that i have a pathway yeah, you, after grad school you can make the big bucks <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> yeah because it seems like you know i don't know hardly anything about like quantum computing but it seems like oh that's the big thing that everyone talks about and like we can do all these amazing things with it now yeah it's quite the when i don't know i feel like it's just a buzzword Mm -hmm. you hear someone in physics that does quantum computing it's like i don't know physics but quantum computing Mm -hmm. (laughs) cha-ching which is like sad but also cool because people know what it is but they don't know what it is yeah well, I also think that's the go-to thing in most situations. Like, oh, if you want to make something sound science-y, just throw the quantum in front of it, whether or not it's relevant. Right? Yeah. Like, what's that? Um, Marvel? DC? I feel like I will get just shunned if I get this wrong. But Ant-Man, mm. uh, they just throw the word quantum in there every 10 seconds. And they're like, science, yeah. quantum. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. We can explain this if we throw the word quantum yeah. in there. Or you buy, like... I don't know. I see like a dishwasher detergents all the time. Be like, this is quantum cleaning, whatever. And you're like, what does I, that mean? <laughs> yeah, I saw that. I saw that at the grocery store, like Cascade Quantum. And I'm like, okay, what's going on here? <laughs> but you know, it's it, quantum cells. Yeah. Literally, the word quantum cells. So you know, by all means, yeah. whatever. <laughs> so when you did your REU. At MSU was that like a big reason why you even applied for grad school here yeah so I kind of I had never been to Michigan before this REU um, I'd never been to the Midwest before this REU and um, I guess Michigan was a good place to stop for that because it's beautiful it's just green trees everywhere um the nature is so pretty. The summers are amazing. I kind of like that gross, sticky summer, <laughs> especially coming from dry heat my whole life. Yeah. Um, You're from California, right? So, 
Yeah. So we have dry heat mm-hmm. in California, in Southern California. And I, I love the stickiness. I'd never seen anything like that. <laughs> I, but yeah, I thought it was a beautiful place. And the people are in Michigan. I just have never met nicer people in my life. Um, and on top of that, Michigan State University was pretty cool. Um, I think my biggest thing with Michigan State University uh, was the fact that if I got in there, there were so many labs that I'd be interested in joining. So if I kind of joined one lab and I wasn't totally happy with it, I knew I had four others that I was also interested in. So that was a huge factor in choosing grad school as well. And I think, you know, I got to know so many of the PIs in condensed matter so that also helps a lot um, that I was able to actually know mm-hmm. that those were labs I was interested in. Whereas if you just go to like those, not to say that grad recruiting trips aren't great and you meet a lot of cool people, but spending a whole summer at a university, you just learn so much more about the environment. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. So when you applied, you actually like had in mind like, oh, I don't know what I'll do. I'll do these different I have these different options. It wasn't yeah. actually like accepted that you. Yeah. So like, for example, um, I was also looking at Tufts. I, I, I was considering going there because of one lab, which is not, you shouldn't go to a school because of one lab. And I'm happy I didn't. Um, but they had a cool biophysics lab there that I was really interested in. Honestly, I couldn't tell you what it was anymore. I think it had something to do with like, mechanics of neurons or Mm. something um i could be totally wrong there (laughs) but yeah i thought that was super interesting um but then i was like i can't go to a school because i like a single lab Mm -hmm. and i couldn't find another lab there that i was super interested in whereas with msu like i said there were so many labs that i would have been happy to be in so okay yeah (laughs) where did you do your undergrad so I spent about two years, um, my first two years of undergrad at Wagner College because I honestly, I thought I was going to do something in the arts. I had no idea that science was within me, <laughs> at least not fully. Um, and then I took a physics class because like it was always in the back of my head as something that I wanted to do. But to be honest, I was like, I'm not smart enough for this. I'm an arts girl. I'm not a science girl, which... You can be both. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I figured that out. Yeah, you can be both. And so I took a physics class and I I did well. Whoa, Mm -hmm. crazy. Uh, And the professor of that class was like, what's your major? And I was like, I don't know, maybe arts, maybe science. I don't know. (laughs) He's like, you should try physics. And I realized I was in the wrong, I was at an art school. Mm -hmm. So had to transfer. and I wanted to stay at a small school and I had a friend at the university of Scranton. Um, and I really, I visited and I loved it. I loved the small little family faculty in the physics department. Everyone was so close and everyone was just there for each other and helping each other out and really wanted you to succeed. And I just, I loved that. So university of Scranton is where I actually did my physics degree. Oh, okay. Very cool. What, so when you're at the art school, like, did you have a partif- specific type of like arts that you were like into or just? No, no, I was kind of doing, I was, I would just say that I was there for like gen ed. I was interested in theater, to be honest, for a while. I was interested in music for a while. 
Um, I loved ceramics. <laughs> yeah, and I loved sculpting. Um, I I just, like I said, I was an arts girl. So I was just trying to figure out what I wanted to do with that. Oh. And then, And then I kind of just like dug deep and I was like, I've always really liked science. Who am I fooling mm-hmm. here? Um, so yeah, so it's like let's just try this out, and here I am. It's kind of crazy. Oh, okay, so when you're doing your physics degree, like you you did the RU at MSU, did you do like other forms of research during that time? So yeah, so when I transferred to University of Scranton, I had transferred um, to the University of Scranton that year before that summer so that like fall spring semester before that summer um and in my second semester i got into nmr which i think is also the little voice in the back of my head that got me into quantum information science because nmr and um what is that quantum computing uh sorry (laughs) nuclear magnetic resonance Um, yeah, they're weirdly similar. Both can be obviously explained, NMR explained on the block sphere, and you can explain, um, quantum computing or qubits, uh, on a block sphere, which is just, I actually don't know how you'd explain a block sphere in 10 seconds, but it's a little sphere with axes and the direction they point can is telling you the state it's in. Oh, okay. Um, excited or ground state. Okay. Um, and how they decay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so NMR and uh, quantum computing are weirdly similar. So now I'm thinking about that. I'm like, that's probably also played into how I got into quantum computing um, or quantum information mm-hmm. science. But yeah, so I did research in NMR, um, just me and a professor, just for fun. We just were like, let's build seven little NMR, continuous wave NMR apparatuses. And yeah, oh, okay. <laughs> that was it. We just kind of, yeah, we just wanted, we liked circuits. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's fair. Okay. Were you ever involved in like other extracurriculars or at least like maintain some of your artistic interests like during that time as well? Honestly, no, which is really sad but I, I was determined to finish my degree, whatever it ended up being in four years. So I went to Scranton to start my degree two years in. So I was taking like 18 to Oof. 21 Oof. semester uh, credit semesters. Mm-hmm. And I, this is horrible. Like I really should have um, took more time to myself. Um, I mean, I finished in those two years, but yeah. Yeah, so I didn't really take much time to work on any sort of extracurricular artistic stuff. Okay. Well, about now in grad school, like I know you're essentially like a worldwide famous knitter now. (laughs) Oh, I'm absolutely not a worldwide famous knitter, but I enjoy it. I've got a couple followers that like following my knitting. Um. Yeah. How did you get into that? Um. So when I was really little, my grandmother, my grandma's an incredible knitter. Um, I feel like if you ask most people how they got into knitting, 
it's usually my grandma. Um, and so like, I'm, I'm, I'm no exception here. Um, so yeah, my grandma taught me how to knit when I was like seven or eight and I would just like knit little squares and scarves and, you know, as you get older, squares and scarves are kind of boring. So I kind of dropped it for a while. I picked it back up in 2019, dropped it again because 2019 I started PhD (laughs) and that's how that goes for the first year or so. It's just so crazy and hectic and overwhelming. And um, then quarantine hit and my workload went up. And so I said, no, thank you. (laughs) And I just procrastinated as much as I could on getting work done by knitting. So I've been like really knitting like seriously for uh, honestly since September of 2020 and it's June 2021. So not very long. But I, like I said, I learned when I was super young, and I picked it up here and there along the way. But yeah, oh, wow. okay, yeah, that that surprised me. Just seeing like all the things, like oh yes, I made this this sweater, or this tank top, or or whatever. It's it's a lot easier, I think, than people expect it to be. It's a lot of math. Mm-hmm. So like us physicists, we know math. We can do math. So it's like counting stitches and geometrically putting shapes together uh to make a garment um so how so yeah how much do you like do you you know write down or draw anything out or is it just like oh i can look at it and i know roughly i need to do this here i i draw everything out i mean maybe i can show you i don't know if that (laughs) but yeah i draw things out like i i take my own like my measurements and i figure out okay how many stitches do i need to fit this measurement based on like a little square thing that i've knit like how many stitches are in four inches so uh no maybe that's (laughs) uh here so this is like a shirt that I'm making now. I don't know if you can see that, but like oh. I draw every little. Sh- so this is what I start with. I start with like the actual full garment mm-hmm. and then I break it down into shapes. And I kind of just, I know, what? I just figure out how many stitches I need to make each of those little shapes. And that's how it goes. So yeah, I'm, I have to write things down. I have to draw it out. I know there are some knitters that can just start and go with it but i i like to plan <laughs> yeah yeah that was like intense like i was looking at blueprints of a of a world <laughs> like building or something <laughs> yeah yeah i am i like to plan <laughs> mostly because i'm also lazy and i don't want to have to like take it apart halfway through so i guess i'm i'm lazy in some respect but also not because i actually do plan it out but the idea of just taking something apart that you've spent 10 hours on is just heartbreaking yeah okay so like i only know how to make like a generic hat because like that's what i learned when i was (laughs) hard i've seen you knit you're a good knitter i i know how to do the the one motion (laughs) and i go up it looks good and you've got great yarn choices I go solely based on color. If it's like it's it's bright, obnoxious colors, that's just how I live my life. Um, but so, do you use 
I don't even know how to formulate this this question, but I'm assuming there are like different styles of dance. Like, and, and I know like crochet is like its own different thing. Like, do you mess around with different styles or different you know techniques or whatever? Yeah, I actually so before I started getting into knitting um, during last fall, that would have been last fall, right? Maybe that. Would, yeah, fall of 2020, just before I started knitting my first garment, I actually crocheted something. Mm. Um, What's the difference? That was something. So crochet, crocheting, you just use a hook, okay. just a single hook. And knitting, you use two needles, mm. just straight needles um, or circular needles. But you have just one device mm-hmm. <laughs> versus two that you use. Um, and crocheting is interesting because, and really huge, um, amongst both like makers and buyers because it can't be replicated on a machine. So like you can buy a knitted sweater or something Mm. and a machine can easily make that. You you can get fast fashion for knitting, (laughs) but for crochet, you literally there is no machine that can replicate uh crocheting so there's like something really special Mm. about that that the knitting and crocheting community likes um personally i prefer the stitches that come out of knitting over crochet but i really appreciate the artistic um aspect of crochet there's so much you can do with crocheting that's really interesting so what do you do with all of the stuff you make is it solely for your purposes or like gifts to other people or what goes on i'm so okay i i'm so bad at uh making things for other people because (laughs) i don't know if this is selfish but working on a project for like let's say 30 hours like some things can take me 30 hours you kind of I grow attached to them. I don't want to let them go. I've spent so much time and energy into making these garments. Like, I don't want to see them go. But uh, I've recently gifted two items, like for the first time ever, other than my mom. Mm-hmm. I gifted her one thing a while ago, but I don't know if I count that because she she almost made me mm-hmm. for her. I had no choice. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I gifted... Um, a two-year-old a little shirt and that was really easy to make so it was easy like it took me a few hours to make because it's a tiny little two-year-old um so that was easy to separate with because it wouldn't have fit me anyway but um i told you i'm in eugene for the olympic trials for my boyfriend's sister um who's also just a really good friend of mine and i knit her a little one shoulder crop top thing um and that was the second thing I'd ever made, like gifted for someone and something that actually fit me that I really <laughs> loved. So the fact that I could wear it and I loved it and I still gave it up, I think that's a really big step for me. <laughs> so I usually just, I'm, I knit things for me. Mm-hmm. I knit things like for my wardrobe. I think it's so much cooler to have a wardrobe full of things you make yourself um, rather than, I think, I mean, we're both grad students here. Money, you know, it's for rent and food. Yeah, are you, are you saying we're not in a lucrative business right now? 
So, so I don't know. It feels wrong to promote fast fashion, even though that's all we can really afford. I I'm all about sustainability in the fashion industry, and I think knitting is the most sustainable thing you can do. Making your own garments is, I think, as sustainable as it gets. What's like the so, um, your like most impressive thing, at least to you, or at least like a piece that you were most proud of or or most into? That's a good question. Um, I think a piece that I'm most proud of is one that. So I, I, I as you know, or maybe know, I I write patterns and I sell them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I am in the process of getting one of my patterns that I've written test knit, which means like before I release it to the public, I want people to try it out in different sizes to make sure it translates to small, medium, large, extra large. Mm. I do sizes all the way up to five XL, very big on size inclusivity. Um, so yeah, I'm in the process of getting one of my garments test knitted. And I think it's the one that I'm most proud of just because. I don't know. I think it's got like a cool little mechanism involved in it that I came up with. Um, it's just like a short sleeve V-neck that like cinches in the middle. And I was just really proud of that cinching mechanism. I don't know why, but people seem to like it. Um, so yeah, I think that's probably what I'm most proud of. I'm, I'm proud of everything I make really. It's just, it's so rewarding to go out in public with something you're wearing and someone be like, Oh my gosh, that's so cute. Where'd you get it? And you're like, wow. I mean, I'm actually very talented. And (laughs) (laughs) so yeah, it's everything that I make is rewarding, but I think in terms, in terms of what I'm most proud of, I think it's this top that I'm working on right now. It's called the cinch crop top. Super cool. So, like, how how often do you actually spend knitting? Like, you said, like, oh, some projects take 30 hours. So, but from start to finish, like, how long actually is that? It's like, oh, in a week I, I had this or, like, you know, a month or how long does a project actually? Yeah, so it really varies on, you know, of course, grad school comes first. <laughs> Uh, research comes first. So sometimes I'll run a simulation with extra points. So it takes longer. So I get there and it. But yeah, it, it really depends on what I'm doing. Like during quarantine, it was probably not good, but I would sit there during like a Zoom lecture and knit during a Zoom lecture. Um, so I was finishing garments like a garment a week maybe or maybe two garments a week which is excessive now i'm kind of actually well now it's summer so the garments are smaller there's no sleeves Mm -hmm. um so now i'm still doing two garments a week but it it's not as much knitting as it would take to make like a big sweater so it really varies i'd say like a 30-hour project now with you know the fact that i'm actually going into the lab um, and working, you know, nine, 10 hour days would a 30 hour garment would probably take me two weeks. Okay. Let's come in. So I like, I knit at night when I come home, it's a great way to like decompress and like just turn off your brain. I can't even, I've found that I can't even watch TV anymore because like that's still using my brain mm. too much. 
like after a long day in a lab where we're just like thinking and it's just, I just, I don't want to use my brain. <laughs> I want to just shut it off and figure out how to get to sleep as fast as possible. So knitting has been the way that I get there. Very nice. Just knit yourself like a nice soft pillow uh, or a blanket or something. <laughs> oh yeah. I really want to knit myself just like a onesie, mm, like mm-hmm. a full body <laughs> knitted suit. Yes. That would be. I want to just live in knits forever. <laughs> that, w- that would be awesome. Um, okay. How much has like the pandemic like impacted your, your life, you know, as a knitter or a researcher or, you know, just in general? <laughs> I would say, I mean, both significantly. I don't think, well, for knitting, I don't think I really would have gotten into it without the pandemic. Um, Actually, I don't know. I take that back. Maybe I would have. The reason I started knitting, like the actual reason, was because I saw a sweater um, on social media that I really liked that was like $250. I was like, I can't afford that. And I was like, well, I learned how to knit when I was younger like I could pick this up again I could figure it out Mm -hmm. like how hard could this be it was hard (laughs) but I did figure it out um and it also you know how I said it was like $250 for that sweater that I could afford that's why I picked the knitting well it turns out yarn is like just as expensive (laughs) so I ended up spending like $200 instead of $250 um like I just had to keep going back to the yarn store anyway so that's really how I picked up knitting. Um, but being in quarantine, I think definitely pushed me to like just make more because I had all this extra, I air quote extra time um, because I didn't have extra time. I just made extra time. <laughs> um, so yeah, in terms of just research, uh, hugely impacted me. I feel like I'm a year behind on research because I lost seven months of lab time and as an experimental physicist like that lab time is is the most important part you know so learning learning your field I, I it's hard to learn experimental physics by reading papers you gotta just like get in there and do it yourself so that's been tough um just because I feel like I've I've lost a year of learning in the lab but you know we're back on the horse i'm in the lab well not right now Mm -hmm. obviously i'm out of town but i spend probably eight to ten hours a day in the lab every day so hopefully i can eventually make up for the lost time and not spend a decade doing a phd that would be you know that'd be ideal (laughs) yeah (laughs) uh do you Maybe this is not a true assumption, valid assumption, but it seems like you also travel a lot. Is that fair to say? Or at least it seems like you're never here. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah. Yeah. Um, so during quarantine, I wasn't, or pandemic, I wasn't really able to be in the lab anyway. So I spent that time in California, in Los Angeles, where I'm originally from, and just stayed with my mom my family and old friends that I didn't really actually get to see because mm-hmm. quarantine. <laughs> but yeah, so I was in California for like six months and my boyfriend lives in Salt Lake City, Utah. Um, so that's a long distance relationship. So 
I'm traveling to go visit him for like a three day weekend a lot. Um, and we like to camp and hike and snowboard and ski and just do all that fun outdoor stuff. So, uh, yeah, usually when I go visit him, we're going to visit somewhere else in Utah because Utah has just like yeah. incredible hiking mm-hmm. and snowboarding. Um, so yeah, I guess I do travel a lot and now I'm in Eugene, but this was, this was kind of last minute. Mm-hmm. This was a last minute decision. So I was like, I've never been to a track meet. So why not make my first track meet the Olympic track? Why, exactly. Why not? <laughs> yeah. I've got someone to cheer on. So yeah. Yeah. yeah that's really cool. Um, what are like some of your favorite parks? And like, I've been to Utah many times and, you know, I, I love the, all the different parks and stuff they have there. Do you have like one that you really like? Okay, so I this was like a spontaneous trip. Well, not so I we went to Zion. We've been planning on doing Zion for a very long time. Zion is like the Disneyland of national parks, mm-hmm. um, and I was very excited for it. And to be honest, I like I feel like this is going to be a hot take, but I was so underwhelmed by Zion. I don't know if that was just because, like I said, it's like the Disneyland of National Park, so you don't really get a full feel for the nature because you're just surrounded by tourism. Mm-hmm. Um, and my boyfriend surprised us with this, surprised us, surprised me with this like little glamping site <laughs> that he thought was just south of Zion. Turns out it was so south of Zion, it was in Arizona mm-hmm. or Nevada. Uh, Arizona, probably. Arizona, okay. <laughs> Yeah, it was so south of Zion. It was in another state. Mm-hmm. And we were like, oh, dang, like, we have to go. We're not going to drive back to Zion the next day. So I was like, why don't we go to Bryce Canyon? Mm-hmm. Um, so we decided the next day to not go back to Zion. We went to Bryce Canyon. And it was just the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. I don't know how Bryce Canyon comes second to Zion to most people. Bryce Canyon is just one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. Um, I you just there's nothing like that in the world. I don't. Have you been to Bryce Canyon? Uh, I've been to Bryce. I think when I was really young. I don't remember that as much. Mm-hmm. From what I recall, it's you start off going downhill, <laughs> which is you mm-hmm. know, when you come back, it just makes it that much harder. <laughs> oh yeah, and but like those rock, the red mm-hmm. rock like formations that look like. You know, when you're at the beach and you pick up wet sand and you yeah. let it drip out of your hand and it forms like a tower. Mm-hmm. It's just giant versions of those in red rock. And yeah. it's just the most incredible. It's a city. It's a rock city. It's a red rock city. And it's it's just incredible. Um, I also, I don't know if you've been Arches National Park. Oh, yeah, I've been Arches several times. Um, Arches is yeah. beautiful. And Moab, just the surrounding area mm-hmm. is really cool. I love them all. I can't pick my favorite. I'm also partial just to the Uintas, the mountains mm-hmm. there, Wasatch National Forest, because um, best best skiing in the world. <laughs> so yeah, I love it all. I love Utah. It's, a, it's an amazing place. Yeah, I've always really liked Utah. The 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 times that I've gone. Yeah, yeah, I've been to Moab and in Arches several times. I've really enjoyed that. Yeah, are you from? Nevada? Uh, originally from Arizona, and then I lived in Colorado, too, so I was very close to that okay, area. Okay, so you're close by. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, super cool. 
Um, okay, so kind of wrapping things up a little bit, do you have like any advice or tips of wisdom that you would give people thinking about grad school or adjusting to grad school? Pick up a hobby, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> I think the first the first year of grad school was tough because you're trying to make friends, you're trying to get acclimated to a new type of schooling, um, and it gets really overwhelming. I think. I, I think most people deal with mental health issues the first year or two of grad school. And picking up knitting just really helped with that because I was able to like get excited. I, I would reward myself at the end of the day with knitting. And I'd be like, I got so much done. Like, I'm gonna go do this for me. And I think it's good to like sit down and reflect with your hobby on like what you're doing work-wise how cool that is and like remind yourself why you're there. It's so easy to get lost in all the work you're just drowning in and you kind of forget why you're there. So having a hobby that you can reward yourself with at the end of the day, but also take that time to reflect on what you're doing is so important. And I wish I picked that up the first year of grad school because I thought about leaving many times, Mm -hmm. but I was just, I was stubborn. <laughs> it wasn't so much, I hate to say it, it wasn't so much physics that was keeping me there, but it was just me being stubborn that was keeping me there. And I'm glad I did because I, I, I love it. The first two years are tough, but I'm in a place where it's just like, I get to do research and it's so cool. And I mean, I've met so many cool friends, you, Hannah, Julia, everyone. I mean, yeah, it's, it's awesome. So I guess that's, my my words of wisdom um find a hobby and try your best not to lose sight of why you're there perfect fantastic love it (laughs) (laughs) well thank you for coming on and and doing this it was a pleasure talking with you and getting to learn more about you yeah thank you so much for having me